0: Taptoe Chapter 3, Truth The search for truths is older than philosophy, and the search for truth, the attempt to determine both what are candidates for being true—beliefs, perhaps, or sentences or propositions or theories—and just how it is that some of those candidates actually are true, while others are not, dates at least to Aristotle. As with many philosophical searches, however, this has not yet to any widely accepted solution. The solution presented in this chapter aims, of course, not at widespread acceptance or even acceptability, but instead at maximal coherence and intelligibility within the theoretical framework of the structural systematic philosophy. By explicitly showing how the syntactic, semantic, and ontological components of that framework are interrelated, this true theory theory powerfully strengthens the SSP as a holistic network. Section 3.1 clarifies the task to be accomplished in this chapter as a whole. 3.2 3.2 introduces substantialism and deflationism, the two most prevalent types of truth theories defended at the present. Briefly indicated how the structural, s- indicating how the structural systematic philosophy's theory relates to them. 3.3 introduces what structure in being. 2.5.2.1 terms the fundamental fact about language, which is in terms clearly explained in that section, that syntactic correctness alone does not provide full semantic determination. also shows how this fact undermines disquotational and deflationary theories of truth. 3.4 identifies the grammatical form of the truth term vital to the SSP's truth theory, a theory then presented in 3.5. 3.1 The task: the terms true, truth, etc., are ones that, like no knowledge, etc., are used in ordinary language in a number of distinct ways, as evidenced by the following examples: one, what he said is true; two. The German Democratic Republic was not a true democracy. Three, I need to true the real wheel of my bicycle. At the same time, however, within the scientific community, broadly understood, a single sense, one also relied on in many ordinary language contexts, has long dominated the literature. Tarski, 1933-1956, phrases this sentence informally as, quote, A true sentence is one that says that the state of affairs is so-and-so, and and the state of affairs indeed is so-and-so, end quote. A clearer formulation is the following sentence S is true if and only if once S says of state of affairs a state of affairs that it is so and so, and two, the state of affairs is indeed, in reality, and actuality so and so. This is the sense centrally relevant to philosophy if, as in the structural systematic philosophy, philosophy is understood to be a strictly theoretical endeavor. As indicated by the two formulations just introduced, although more explicitly in the second, A theory that adequately clarifies this sense of truth will require at least three components. A syntactic component to clarify what items qualify as sentences, a semantic component to clarify how it is that sentences can say of state of affairs that they are so-and-so, and and an ontological component to clarify what is or can be indeed or in reality or actuality so-and-so. The theory must also interrelate these components, most importantly, by explaining how it is that states of affairs can be both bespoken a matter of semantics, and b, a matter of ontology. Developing such a theory may, of course, require, in addition to adequately explaining the sense of truth introduced above, altering that sense in order to situate it within the theoretical framework of the structural systematic philosophy. The ultimate task of this section is to present a theory that satisfies the requirements introduced in the preceding paragraph, but because of the difficulty and complexity of this topic and because it continues to be extremely controversial, Some situating of the theory presented here in relation to other types of theories currently defended is appropriate. One way in which the theory presented here differs from other theories of various types is the following. This theory is presented as fully adequate not to everyday theoretical frameworks and thus to ordinary language, but only to the theoretical framework of the structural systematic philosophy. Footnote, this structural systematic philosophy's truth theory interrelates true sentences and sentencings, propositions and factings all of which are components of the SSP's theoretical framework, but not of theoretical frameworks relying on ordinary language. Moreover, whereas within the SSRPP's framework propositions are expressible only by sentences or sentencings, within everyday framework, semantic context can be expressed in many more ways, for example, by gestures, such as nods or shakes of the head. Okay, the fact that the SSP's truth theory is situated only within its theoretical framework as present at present does not preclude the development of a counterpart theory that would be more applicable to ordinary language, but TAPTOE makes no attempt to develop one. 3.2. Substantialism and deflationism. At present, the most widely accepted taxonomy of truth theories distinguishes most broadly between substantialist or robust theories and deflationary theories. In initially adequate terms, substantialist or robust theories seek to to determine the nature or natures of truth, whereas deflationary theories deny that truth has such a nature. For present purposes, the only kind of substantialist or robust theory that need be introduced is the correspondence theory, of which there are various versions, because substantialist alternatives to the correspondence theory and also deflationistic theories tend to be motivated in significant part by rejections of the correspondence theory. Again, for present purposes, the correspondence theory may be linked to the understanding of truth introduced above. That is, sentence S is true if and only one, S says of a state of affairs that it is so and so, and two, the state of affairs is indeed, in reality, and in actuality, so and so. This understanding appears to presuppose some form of correspondence theory, and it requires, for sentence S to be true, some kind of relation, loosely but at this point adequately characterizable as correspondence between the state of affairs that S articulates and the state of affairs in the world. The structural systematic philosophy's truth theory retains the central insight behind the correspondence theory, that is, that whatever is true—sentence, belief, proposition, etc.—must stand in a determinate relation to what actually is, to the ontological dimension. But it denies that the relation is adequately articulable as one of correspondence between items whose ontological statuses are or are understood to be utterly distinct. For example, between beliefs understood as purely mental, and thus as non-physical, and worldly facts understood as physical, and thus as non-mental. Also worth noting at this point is that the SSP's rejection of all forms of substance ontology allows it to avoid the major objection to correspondence theories, an objection lurking behind the following passage from P.F. Strassen, 2004. What makes the statement that the cat has mange true is not the cat, but the condition of the cat, that is, the fact that the cat has mange. The only plausible candidate for the position of what in the world makes the statement true is the fact that it states, but the fact is not something in the world. Present purposes do not require clarification of how P.F. Strauss, and P. F. Strauss in 2004 understands facts. The point important in this context is that whereas the ontological status of facts within thing or substance-based ontologies can be, as for Strauss in 2004, problematic and thus a reason to adopt a defa- deflationary account of truth. The ontological status of factings within the SSP is straightforward. According to the structural systematic philosophy, the only substances, the only somethings, sorry, that there are in the world are factings, including various members of the family, its catching, its catting such that it's being on its matting. Whereas, as shown above, correspondence theories can easily be linked to Tarski 1933-1956's informal sense of truth, and particularly to the reformulation of that sense introduced above, deflationary theories can be, and indeed as a rule explicitly are, linked to a formulation from Tarski 1944 that is, although it is not generally seen to be, decisively different from the first formulation. The formulation in Tarski 1944, Schema T, is presented by Hartree Field, 1972, for English as he takes that language ordinarily to be learned, as follows. T, X is true if and only if P, where X is replaced by a quotation mark name of an English sentence, S, and P is replaced by S. A standard example replaces the variables as follows. The sentence, snow is white, in quotation marks, is true if and only if snow is white. For reasons evident from the example, Schema T is the basis for what is termed the disquotational thesis concerning truth. The theory, sentence appearing in quotation marks to the left of the connective if and only if, and they are said to be true, reappears to the right of the connective, but without the quotation marks, thus as disquoted. As Quine 1992 puts it, quote, Ascription of truth just cancels the quotation marks. Truth is disquotation, end quote. Why theories taking the disquotational thesis to be essentially all that need be said about truth are often termed deflationary is presumably evident. Such theories let what they take to be the hot air out of theories granting truth an important role in theorization, often the role of being the aim of theorization, leaving only the relatively trivial function of canceling quotation marks. For deflationists, truth talk is essentially no more than a convenience making possible such locutions as everything he said was true. Because adequate understanding of the truth theory of the structural systematic philosophy requires clear understanding of the inadequacy of T, and thus of all disquotational and hence deflationistic positions, that inadequacy is now to be demonstrated in some detail. 3.3. The Basic Error Behind All Deflationary Theories of Truth Schema T, as presented by field 1972, is strikingly different from the formulation from Tarski 1933-1956 introduced above in 3.2.1. Absent from the second schema are any indications, one, that sentences can or, to be true, must say anything at all, two, that it is necessary or even relevant for truth that state of affairs be said to be so-and-so, and And three, that it is necessary or even relevant, again, for truth that states of affairs indeed be so-and-so. Instead. Field 1972 schema says something that, put bluntly, is astonishing. The name of a given given sentence, the sentence as enclosed in quotation marks, is true if and only if that sentence. According to Paul Horwich, 2001, the "The meaning of the truth predicate is fixed by its version of schema T., Footnote, the differences between Horwich 2001's and Field 1972's version of Schema T are not relevant to the account that follows. The Schema cannot, however, fix the meaning of the truth predicate because, in anticipatory reliance on terms thoroughly explained in the following paragraphs, 1. The sentence, or for Horwich 2001 proposition, appearing on the right-hand side of the schema symbol in any instance of the Schema, appears without determination or qualification. Two, sentences and propositions that appear without determination or qualification are semantically underdetermined. And three, fixing the meaning of truth languages requires sentences and propositions that appear as, and indeed at a later step, are fully semantically determined. Why this is show, so is now to be shown. A convenient starting point for showing how sentences can appear both as fully semantically determined and as semantically undetermined is provided by an example from Field 1972, an example that in Field 1972 itself explains only by relying on resources beyond the scope of those provided by its own T. The example, quote, The notion of truth serves a great many purposes, but I suspect that its original purpose, the purpose for which it was first developed, was to aid us in utilizing the utterances of others in drawing conclusions about the world. To take an extremely simple example, Suppose that a friend reports that he's just back from Alabama and that there was a foot of snow on the ground there. Were it not for his report, we would have considered it extremely unlikely that there was a foot of snow on the ground in Alabama, but the friend knows snow when he sees it and is not prone to telling lies for no apparent reason, and so after a brief deliberation, we conclude that probably there was a foot of snow in Alabama. What we did here was first to use our evidence about the person and his situation to decide that he probably said something true when he made a certain utterance, and then to draw a conclusion from the truth of his utterance to the existence of snow in Alabama. In order to make such inferences, we have to have a pretty good grasp of, one, the circumstances under which what another says is likely to be true, and two, how to get from a belief in the truth of what he says to a belief about the extralinguistic world, end quote. The first point to be noted about this passage is its italicization of the word was. The friend of is, reported, is said to have reported, quote, that there was a foot of snow in Alabama, end quote, and the we of Field, 1972, henceforth, for our purposes, Hartree, to have concluded that there probably was, in italics, a foot of snow in Alabama. The italicization is important because it is a direct counterpart to the indeed used in Tarski 1933-1956's Informal Characterization of Truth, but absent from Schema T. Schema T, as noted above, appears to support the disquotational thesis about truth because the sequence including enclosing quotation marks on the left-hand side of the equivalence connective differs from the sequence on the right-hand side only by its inclusion of the quotation mark. It is, however, essential note that if either the indeed or field 1972's italicization is required, then the schema no longer applies, because then the sentence on the right-hand side of the equivalent connective does not differ from the one on the left-hand side, only by lacking quotation marks. For this reason, a distinction must be drawn between the exclusively disquotational thesis and expansively disquotational theses. The latter are similar to the former in containing quotation marks only to the left of the equivalent sign, but differ essentially from the former in containing to the right of the equivalent sign formulations that do not simply repeat the sequence appearing within quotation marks on the left-hand side. Again, examples qualify. Exclusively disquotational thesis, the sentence in quotation marks, snow is white, is true if and only if snow is white. Expansively Disquotational Thesis 1, the sentence, snow and white, is white, in quotation marks, is true only if snow is indeed white. Expansively Disquotational Thesis 2, the sentence, snow and white, in quotation marks, is true if and only if snow is, italicized, white. Although Quine 1992 is Disquotationalist, see the passage quoted above, Quine 1970 clearly recognizes the importance of Quine, of Tarski 1933-1956s. Indeed, quote, the sentence, snow is white is true, as Tarski has taught us, if and only if real snow is really white. In a footnote, McGinn 2003, this this from a footnote. In a footnote, McGinn 2003, cites Quine's 1970s real snow is really white passage in support of the following. Disquotation, quote, Disquotation is the essence of truth. This much is widely accepted, end quote. Eleven pages later in the essay, there is the sentence, quote, falsity is not, strictly speaking, disquotational. We have the schema, P is false if and only if not P, and the right side is not a disquotation of the left, since since it contains not, and P lacks this word. The same consideration obviously rules out real snow is really white, as disquotation of of snow is white. That McGinn, fail, that McGinn 2003 fails to note this is evidence of the strength of the disquotational dogma. End of footnote. So, from Quine's, real, uh, snow is white is, the sentence, snow is white is true if and only if real snow is really white yields expansively disquotational thesis three. The sentence snow is white in quotation marks is true if and only if real snow is really white. Further clarification is provided by closer consideration of Field 1972's example, which proves to be far from simple, despite its characterization as such. To be noted first is that although Field 1972 begins and ends by speaking of utterances, it also characterizes the friend's uttering as a reporting and the utterance itself as a report. Having done so, it describes an inference not from utterance to truth but from report to truth. The description thus ignores a step that must be made. The step field 1972 misses is the step made in assuming or deciding or concluding that the friend's utterance was probably a report or, differently stated, in assuming or concluding that in uttering the friend was reporting, end quote. A footnote, Quine 1970 makes the same error in the following passage, quote, the truth predicate is a device of disquotation. We may affirm a single sentence by just uttering it, Unaided by the quote, by quotation, or by the truth predicate, end quote. the crucial word in this passage is "may." Indeed, we may affirm single sentences by uttering them, but not just by uttering them, because we may also utter single simple sen- single sentences without affirming them, as we do, for example, in pronunciation la- exercises in language classes or when we are acting. The Hartree book makes the step on the basis of the circumstances under which the friend was speaking, but not, despite this description's suggestion to the contrary, solely on the basis of evidence about the person in his situation. The relevant evidence about the person identified in the example is that he knows snow when he sees it and is not prone to telling us lies for no reason, and the relevant evidence about the friend's situation appears to be that he currently has no apparent reason for telling lies. This evidence is, however, irrelevant with respect to the de- determination of the friend's uttering as a telling or a reporting. The evidence vital with respect to that determination is the context within which the uttering occurs. The importance of, this step, of the step that det- determines the uttering as a reporting becomes clear if possible variants of the situation are considered. What if the friend, no less cognizant of snow and no more inclined frivolously to lie, had uttered, I just returned from Alabama and there's a foot of snow there, while reading aloud to his children, or in the course of telling a joke, or while on stage acting in a play. In those cases, the friend couldn't be lying to his interlocutors about weather conditions in Alabama, because although uttering the sentence in question, and indeed uttering it meaningfully within the context of the story, joke, or play, he would not be reporting anything at all. Of the four kinds of utterings identified in the preceding paragraph, only reporting presents the sentence or the proposition or belief, etc., that it expresses as fully semantically determined. In Tarski 1933-1956's terms, only then does the sentence say of a a state of affairs that it is so-and-so, and And that is why that is the only one of the the four cases in which the friend's knowledgeability about Snow and his tendency not to lie become relevant. The preceding paragraph tacitly identifies two ways in which the sentence in which sentences can appear or be presented as fully semantically determined. The first is explicitly, although as indicated above not fully accurately, identified by field 1972 as relevant to its example. This is to rely on some of field 1972's words, the circumstances under which someone says something or other. This way or manner in which sentences appear or are presented as fully semantically determined is the most common one in ordinary conversations and in everyday life in cases of both spoken and written presentations of sentences. It is here termed the contextual mode of presenting sentences as fully semantically determined. Field 1972's example, the context within the French spoke is sufficient to determine the French uttering as a reporting. But what if the example is altered once again now in such a way that the context becomes insufficient. What if Hartree hears the sentence in question in relative isolation from what is otherwise a buzz of voices in an adjacent room? Surprised by the utterance, Hartree might wonder whether or not there was indeed so much snow in Alabama, but he might equally reasonably wonder, and per- would perhaps more plausibly wonder, about the status of the utterance. If his wonder were of the latter sort, one reasonable step would be to ask someone who had just come from the other room something like, what's going on in there? Responses that would overcome his wonder would include, Joe's been reporting on his trip to Alabama, and Joe told us a great joke. Use of the term reporting in the preceding paragraph, and in, as in field 1972's example, is an instance of a second way in which sentences can appear, appear or be presented as fully semantically determined, that is, by means of pragmatic vocabulary. In addition to report, such terms as assert and maintain can accomplish this mode of semantic presentation, here termed the pragmatic mode. This mode requires a language richer than that required by contextual determination because contextual determination, while it is of linguistic terms, is not itself linguistic. It occurs only when there are appearances or presentations of sentences, but it does not include the introduction of new words or sentences. Moreover, pragmatic vocabulary makes explicit what is only explicit, implicit on the contextual level. It makes explicit what Joe is doing that what Joe was doing was reporting. It makes explicit how Joe was using language. If he concluded that the friend had been reporting on his trip to Alabama, Arching might again, as before, wondering about the amount of snow in that state, but he might also reasonably consider, as in the example, the reliability of his friend. In the example, he deems his friend trustworthy, but what if he is not sufficiently confident about that? He then reasonably wonders whether what the friend said was true. Articulation of this wonder would take Hartree to a third level, that at which semantic vocabulary, here the word true, is available. And just as what remains implicit on the first or contextual level can be made explicit on the second or pragmatic level by means of pragmatic vocabulary items, what remains implicit on the pragmatic level can be made explicit on the third or semantic level by means of semantic vocabulary items. In reporting to his interlocutors, I just returned from Alabama and there's a foot of snow there, Joe is presenting the sentence as fully semantically determined by presenting it as true. He can make this explicit by using the semantic term true. It is true that there is a foot of snow in Alabama. Without semantic vocabulary, it is impossible to explicitly articulate what one does when one asserts or maintains. Moreover, semantic vocabulary does not require pragmatic vocabulary it is true that s can present s as fully determined. A footnote. For it is true that s to present s as fully semantically determined, it is true that s must itself, of course, be determined. For this reason, contextual determination is in a certain sense ultimate because if sentence appearances could be determined only pragmatically and or semantically, any such determination would require an additional sentence to accomplish the term determination, The latter sentence would have to be determined by an additional sentence, and there would be an infinite regress. In a different respect, however, semantic determination is ultimate in that one, it alone explicitly articulates the determinations accomplished on the contextual and pragmatic levels, and two, there is no further level that would explicate it. Contextual determination can also be provided, or can be provided not only by conversational factors, as it often is in everyday life but also by situated within a presentation of a theory. The sentences in this book are contextually determined in the latter math, math manner. In the footnote. The sentence, it is true that S, can present S as fully semantically determined, but S is fully semantically determined only when, within the theoretical framework in which it is situated, it is situated either as true or as false. 3.4, the truth term. Considered in terms of surface grammar, the term truth as a singular noun refers to appears to refer to something or object, whereas the predicate is true appears to designate a property. Given that the ontology of the SSP includes only factings, and thus neither things nor properties, it clearly cannot understand the truth term in accordance with the surface grammar of either of the two linguistic forms just introduced. The form of the truth term it recognizes instead is its appearance in the operator, it is true that... TAPTOE, like structure and being, at times does use the terms truth and true, but only on metasystematic levels, that is, in considering alternative theoretical frameworks, as in 4.2, or on the eminently systematic level of the SSP, in convenient paraphrases of the more cumbersome formulations using the truth operator. 3.5. It is true that such and such, if and only if such and such. The title of this sub section is the framework of a schema that is an alternative to schema T. In all concretizations of the schema, it must somehow be made explicitly that what appears to the right of the equivalence connected if and only if has an ontological status. Structure and being introduces the following possible ways of making this explicit. T prime, it is true that snow snow is white if and only if really snow is white. T double prime, it is true that P if and only if really p. T triple prime, it is true that snow and white, if and only if, in boldface, snow is white. T quadruple prime, it is true that P, if and only if, in boldface, P. Given the considerations introduced above in this section, along with the syntactic, semantic, and ontological structures presented in 2.6, the SSP's truth theory is relatively easily expressed by the following conjunctions. It is true that S, if and only if, S is a sentence or equal. That expresses a propositioning p, and it is true that p. It is true that p if and only if p is a propositioning that is identical to a facting that is a constituent of the actual dimension of being, or of the dimension of actual being, being and its dimensionality are considered in chapter eight. A partial formulation of the theory of falsity is the following: It is false that s if and only if s is a sentence or sentencing that expresses either a a pseudo-proposition, or b a propositioning P, and it is false that P, Fred drew a round square, as is a sentence c- expressing a pseudo-proposition, see 8.3.5 below, also structured in being page 238. The proposition expressible by the sentence, Mr. Leopold Bloom, ate with relish the inner organs of beasts and fowls, is thus false, although it is true, it is actually the case, that within the merely possible or non-actual world presented in Joyce's Ulysses, Mr. Leopold Bloom eats with relish the inner organs of beasts and fowls. The SSP's theories of truth and falsity relate syntax to semantics in that, according to those theories, syntactic structures, sentences, and sentencings can express semantic structures, propositionings. They relate semantics to ontology in that semantic structures, propositionings, are identical to ontological structures, factings that are constituents of dimensions of being. Worth emphasizing is that this theory includes an identity thesis, but it is not an identity th- theory because it includes the thesis according to which sentences and sentencings can express propositionings. The relation of expressing is, of course, not a relation of identity. Traditionally, items that can be true or false in the sense relevant here are often termed truth-bearers. But that term suggests that truth is something like a property that can be designated by a predicate and so is appropriate to the truth theory of the structural systematic philosophy only if truth bearers are understood as arguments of the truth operator. The primary argument of the truth operator, according to this theory, is the propositioning because it is true that sentence S, the secondary argument of the truth operator, if and only if it is true that propositioning P, when S expresses P. Nevertheless, the sentence can be termed the initial argument of the operator in that propositionings are explicitly available only as expressed by sentences. To say that true propositionings are identical to actual factings may sound strange. As suggested above in section 3.2, it would indeed be strange if propositionings were understood as somehow mental and factings as being outside of the human mind. According to the structural systematic philosophy, however, being is intrinsically expressible and is expressible by languages. Languages can express being itself. Moreover, there is nothing puzzling, even with everyday theoretical frameworks, about the thesis that by means of language human beings can present facts. That is precisely what witnesses in legal proceedings are expected indeed required to do. What can make this identity thesis the thesis that true propositionings are identical to actual factings Counterintuitive is the unclarity within everyday theoretical frameworks, as well as in many philosophical frameworks, of the ontological status of facts. If actual facts, as actual factings, are understood as expressible constituents of being, there is nothing at all problematic about the thesis that actual factings are, additional to tru- are identical to true propositions, expressible by true sentences or sentences. Beings and Intrinsic expressibility can also be clarified as follows. The structural systematic philosophy accepts as a matter of empirical fact that human beings, by thinking and speaking about being, or, more loosely, about reality or the world, engage in beings with being in ways that exhibit high degrees of success. The structural systematic philosophy also accepts, as included in the best explanation of this success, that human beings attain it precisely by articulating being in its intrinsic expressibility, hence that language and linguistically expressible thinking and being can coincide precisely in articulation. To clarify by means of an example, one who denied that the attendees at the 2012 meeting of the Metaphysical Society of America had succeeded in assimilating facts about being, indeed, according to the structural systematic philosophy, factings constituting being, As they read announcements about the meeting, made inquiries or arrangements concerning transportation, and interpreted visual and auditory data provided by clocks of various sorts, would appear to have no better option than to classify the presence of those attendees at the meetings as resulting from an enormous number of inexplicable miracles. The structural systematic philosophy defends its discrimination as superior.